Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today, Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you. Happy Monday, Dr. Paul. How are you today? It's Monday again it already? Is. We're back around. Okay, Full well, circle. We, better, we better get busy. Yeah. I uh, see NATO's busy. They're very And very busy. Uh, we've been wanting to slow them down a bit. But, a lot. <laughs> but they haven't listened to us. And, you know, um, you know, we complain about all that's been going on in Ukraine, and we'll continue to do that. But uh, it's a lot of badgering, and I think uh, some of these countries are getting tired of it. You do this, you send weapons into Ukraine, and, and uh, you know, we're in charge and this sort of thing. But uh, there's a lot of that going on about tai Taiwan, because yeah. China now is dominating the news. They're the bad, really bad guys. Oh, yeah. uh, of course, they have some serious problems and fractions, but you know what immediately crosses my mind, I wonder if we've ever done that to our people. <laughs> you know, have we ever violated the civil liberties of American citizens? No, they never ask that question. Anyway, there was a little going on. There was a resolution, and they wanted to show that we've had strength. You know, the speaker was over there in Taiwan, yep. and he's the expert now in uh, non-interventionism that uh, that's not a good idea i guess he came back with <laughs> because he he came back and uh and uh, the, the congress has responded and drew up a resolution a bunch of them got on close to 30 people signed on telling our allies now just urging them help out now you have to you have to be more aggressive against taiwan because that will uh, you know move the needle toward peace and prosperity mm. of course um, we know that's uh, not not uh, a good idea but there's still a lot of people who believe it and there's a lot of lobbyists who believe it and there's a group of people called neocons and mm. uh, authoritarians who think that if you don't support every penny that's offered up in the military industrial by the military industrial complex you're un-american you're unpatriotic and so that's why this support comes but you know it's in the midst doesn't it really no it doesn't surprise us <laughs> but it annoys us it really annoys us. in the midst of this pretense that next week the whole country's going to close down unless they raise the debt limit and they're recognizing that the republicans are doing a good job at calling attention to some of this but at the same time I don't think they're going to cancel any support and uh, proposed support for Taiwan. So uh, that's that's the part that uh, happens to annoy me. But the, anyway, the effort is on now because it's been going, but it's uh, accelerating with this administration, if that's even possible. But uh, the relationship is far removed from a non-interventionist foreign policy where we seek peace and trade uh, with another country uh, that, uh, to, to smooth things over and soften the antagonism and uh, that looks like the policy we're going to follow for a while unless more people speak up yeah well you that's a good point in trying to tie it to the debt issue because you know what, what we're looking at is a hundred billion dollars now that have been authorized for uh, for Ukraine much of that money as we know has just gone up into thin air a lot of it is a um, money laundering scheme the East European countries get rid of their ratty old MiGs and they get F-16s, maybe even F-35s in exchange. They get rid of their junky old Soviet uh, tanks. They get shiny new tanks from the U.S. and on and on it goes. So a lot of this is a money laundering scheme. But even with all of this huge expenditure, things aren't going well in Ukraine. 
Uh, Ukraine is supposed to have won months and months ago, according to our great experts, people like the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. That certainly isn't the case. We're looking at Ukraine being ground down in places like Bakhmut and elsewhere. So it's not going as planned. And so what does Washington do when one of its interventions are not going as planned? Well, they do a slate of hand and say, oh, but what about over here? And I think that's what we're seeing with China now. This, this whole Taiwan, or this whole Ukraine adventure has been a disaster. So now you're seeing a new Washington consensus emerging. And we can put this first one up because this is a bill in our, our, our good friend and colleague Norman Singleton sent this over to me this morning. Uh, so Norm, hats off to you, bud. Um, exclusive House Republicans call on European countries to support Taiwan and oppose a Chinese invasion. So this is a new piece of legislation uh, introduced in the House by a uh, Republican from Ohio. Basically what it's doing is trying to rope the Europeans, Dr. Paul, into the same horrible relationship <laughs> with the U.S. over Taiwan as they were able to do over Ukraine. They destroyed the powerhouse of Europe, which is Germany. Uh, they've destroyed the economy, inflation, energy prices, food prices, all through the roof in Europe. And now the Washington is saying, okay, Europe, but let's try to do this even more with China and Taiwan. And to top it off, they blew up a pipeline. It yeah. wasn't beneficial to anybody except the people who have to sell oil from another source. But, you know, the, uh, they had on the items on that resolution, I think there were four major items. But I want to read three because it touches on what you yeah. said. <clears throat> it says the, uh, the resolution that encourages North, North Atlantic Treaty Organization allies to strengthen their engagement with partners in the Indo-Pacific on approaches to shared global security challenge, including peace and stability in the, in, in, in the Indo-Pacific. I got to thinking, all this stuff, and I think we emphasize that, that we're looking for peace and prosperity, and they are too. So they should supposed to be allies, but they happen to be, you know, doing exactly the opposite of what we had been advised by the founders. What's in the Constitution that you should not seek, uh, you, you know, an, an absence of cooperation with other people. You should seek more uh, trade and more uh, opportunities to work work together and. Yet we blame us. They they blame us for isolationism. Yeah. And of course, what uh, what is happening and why the, there's a blowback now against our policies, whether it's Ukraine or whether it's China. China is not. Uh, they've been able to build up a lot more hatred toward China, yeah. uh, which uh, you know there there are problems there. But it doesn't justify what our policy is doing, especially. When I sincerely believe the policy that we're following will make things worse and not better, no matter how much credit you give them for, well, they're well intended, you yeah. know. And but we need our support from the from the Europeans. They need to get involved. NATO, NATO is bringing them together. So with the NATO arm, I thought NATO had something to do with the North Atlantic Treaty, <laughs> you know, and de defense against Soviets. But uh, that uh, that sort of has morphed into something else. Well, the whole thing is pretty farcical if you, if you look at it a certain way. I mean, Europe has completely depleted its entire arsenal. They've sent literally every last shell. I think they're sending over slingshots now. They've sent every single last piece of weaponry. They swore, they, they said that they were going to have a million new shells we're going to send 
and then they can't find them anywhere, they can't buy them, they can't manufacture them. They have literally emptied their arsenals, and you've seen uh, one after the other European defense ministers saying, we couldn't last more than three or four days if we actually had to fight a war, because they've sent everything to Ukraine. So on the one hand, you see this completely depleted, and it's the same is true for the U.S., this completely depleted arsenal, and at the same time, they want to take out the biggest kid on the block. They want to go punch China in the eye, and they have no weapons left. So it's, it's absolutely farcical. But what's happening here, and if we can turn that next one on, in April, Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, he went over to China, and he was going to wag his finger at them and tell them what to do and what the what for is. Well, he started hanging out with Xi. They had a, they had a good time together. And it turns out he gave a press conference, we talked about it on this show, where he said, you know what, I don't think it's a great idea for Europe to continue blindly following U.S. foreign policy down this path with China toward conflict. I think it's a pretty bad idea. And so I think a lot of what this resolution is that's in the House is to try to force them back in. And here's, um, and here's Biden, who's already led the way. This is from the Daily Caller piece that we put up a second ago. Although the U.S. formally maintains strategic ambiguity about its plans in the event of a Chinese invasion, President Joe Biden has repeatedly suggested he would order the military to defend Taiwan. Now, we don't know if he remembers saying that, but he has said it before. He has said it several times. So he definitely has ramped up the, uh, you know, the rhetoric on it. The question is, is there anything to back this rhetoric? Boy, I'll tell you what, but uh, I don't expect uh, the policy to change, although it's going to fail and they might have to back off. Uh, I keep thinking that the day will come when, uh, you know, financially for us, the people will start uh, and they have started to reject the dollar. Now, the Europeans, you described so well how they've used up all their weapons and they were able to depend on us for their their defensive purposes rather than, uh, you know, developing friendships with neighbors. I mean, it, it to me was magical of how how the Soviet system collapsed. I thought that was the greatest thing. Yeah. It just melted away because I was drafted during the uh, during the Cold War where missiles were in Cuba, and yet it just overnight it, it faded away. And uh, and then uh, then they then we did open the doors, and we have uh, you know better relationships now with trade and all with both uh, Russia and China. But it's deteriorating, and it's not sound. And that's that's where the, the real problem is and uh, yet that is a, that is a position that uh, we should strive for is to, to get people in into trading and you, you can still look at a lot of trade going on but somebody just doesn't like that and you know most people simply explain it well it's not on the table for the globalists there's a segment of people that uh, you know want to run the show and uh, they've been around forever uh, the nature of which globalist group is really in charge is yet to be determined, but it isn't, uh, it isn't the independence of a libertarian society to say, just leave me alone, let me take care of myself, and we're not going to engage in, in the, these uh, conniving with other countries and trying to stimulate the Europeans to do what we want uh, and, uh, until they go bankrupt, and now, now, now the people are, are floundering around, they just don't know what to do. But the answers are not complicated. Yeah. We should just mind our own business. That would be a good idea, Dr. Paul. <laughs> um, but it doesn't pay a lot of bills for people in D.C. But let's go back. This is a press release on the legislation we're talking about. 
Um, if we can go forward, Representative Miller from Ohio introduced it. But here's a quote from Representative Lawler. Uh, go ahead one if you don't mind. Uh, here's what he said. It is incumbent on all NATO members to strengthen their involvement with Democratic partners in the Indo-Pacific to ensure safety and security in the region, Lawler said. Quote, the CCP's recent provocative actions toward Taiwan and their neighbors are a reminder that Xi's desire for expansion can only be checked by U.S.-European co cooperation. This is a country that has expanded NATO all up to Russia's borders, that has expanded, it has thousand bases overseas, talking about the expansionism, desire for expansionism of the Chinese government. And as you say, they're not perfect, but really it's the pot calling the kettle black. But what we're seeing here is the same kind of relationship. It really is a parallel with the relationship with, uh, with the U.S. and Russia over Ukraine. We send, uh, we've talked about this you know, for years on the show. We have an extremely provocative uh, policy toward China over Taiwan. We send our ships across the globe to patrol their waters. We sell them weapons. We send them weapons. We hold military exercises aimed at attacking the Chinese. And when the Chinese stand up and say, hey, you guys should stop that, we say, whoa, you guys are being so aggressive. <laughs> you know? And that's exactly what happened with Russia and Ukraine. It's the same playbook, and it doesn't work. It, it, it turns out badly for our economy, and things could get even, even worse if they continue with this. Uh, what, what do you think is going to happen when uh, somebody goes over there and offers membership to NATO to Taiwan? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that could be. <laughs> no, that's too <laughs> absurd. <laughs> but, but in a sense, that's what they're approaching. You know, uh, right now, our, our verbal commitments have been overwhelming that, uh, you know, uh, that if the president said we've had, we, we would not allow that to happen. And as always set to say, so they are pseudo members. And uh, yet we're out there still making it, you know, even tighter and more determined. And don't forget, uh, the Chinese are ready to invade. They talk about invasion like next week it may come. But uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a result of us uh, getting involved in places we shouldn't be involved and claiming that those of us who don't want to get involved with the militarism are therefore isolationists and we don't want to deal with the world. And yet exactly the opposite is true. You know, uh, things, things go much better when you trade with countries than yeah. when you uh, just uh, provoke war. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Well, here's another example and another reminder of what our bad U.S. foreign policy hath wrought. If we can put the next one on. This is something big that happened over the weekend. It happened on Sunday. Uh, and this is from, I believe, the Daily Caller. Or, okay. Arab League readmits Syria as relations with Assad normalize. Now, this has been 12 years since the Arab League kicked out Assad. The Arab League was cajoled under the Obama administration to sign on with the regime change policy for Syria. It was a bloody, horrible, horrible war where the U.S. backed Al-Qaeda. And in fact, there was that famous memo from current National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan to Hillary Clinton saying, we're on Al-Qaeda's side in Syria, <laughs> right? So an absolute admission that we used absolute horrific thugs in Syria to try to overthrow Assad. It didn't work. And finally, and this is what's going to infuriate Washington, with the mediation of China, 
there was, has been a resumption of normal diplomatic relations between Syria and Saudi Arabia and Iran, United Arab Emirates. They've all been able to mend their fences, and now Syria, after this horrible long nightmare, has been readmitted into the Arab League. It's very important. No, I, I think it's, it's uh, sensational that they're even talking about it. But, you know, uh, it, it happened to be a Democrat president that said Assad has to go. Yep. He established the whole atmosphere of why we had to be in there and, and, and get involved, and we have been involved, and we still are struggling to hang on to our little extra oil that we have there. Now, I like the idea of having less regulation so we can be oil independent. That's okay work in that direction but allow the market to work but uh, th no they go over there and we, we get involved and uh, 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 then we have to pay for the it's expensive for us to do all that protecting so they say well we're going to take over this country and we're going to get paid because we're going to take they've been blind we'll take your oil and yeah. that, that'll that'll pay, that'll pay for it so that uh, that is a, is a is a mess and uh, the uh, uh, I guess the results will come soon about exactly who, who's going to join in. I, I think that's going to be a big fight. Uh, I mean, uh, it's like a, a, a political fight. Yeah. Well, Trump was far from perfect, and he did some absolutely knuckleheaded things. We'd be the first one to admit that, including having John Bolton in his cabinet in the <laughs> first place, but certainly bombing Syria a couple times. Stupid, stupid, stupid. But really, we can see now that the Biden presidency is just Obama three. Uh, this is a third term of Obama because these are the same people with the same policies, you know, ha wrecking havoc across the region, the same destruction. They did it in Ukraine. It was under Obama that the coup, the U.S.-backed coup happened in Ukraine. It was under Obama that the Arab Spring, which was just cover for the U.S. to overthrow all the governments in the region and call it a democracy movement. Of course, it was no such thing. But they did this entire thing. They were... They made neocon interventionists look like slackers. They are hyper-interventionists. None of it worked. None of it worked. And you mentioned it in your piece today. Just a field of disaster after the Obama people came through. And now what does it do? It returns to the status quo ante, albeit with thousands and thousands less people because they've been all killed. You know, it's, it's sad that we don't hear from the progressives, you know, the ones who in the Democratic Party would stand up and outside the Democratic Party. But in a way, they're being revived a bit. Yes, all this nonsense that you just uh, showed how, uh, you know, bipartisan is and both, uh, both Republicans and Democrats are pushing it. But all of a sudden, there's somebody that entered in the president's race in the Democrats. All of a sudden, people are shocked. Where, where'd he come from? Yeah. I, we, we thought there were no more Kennedys to run, you know, and he's doing very well. Yeah. And he's not bashful about policies like that. I mean, uh, I am, uh, uh, you know, very interested in what he's doing because this, this will, you know, encourage more of those Democrats that in their gut, they're more progressive and think they would like to defend uh, the position of uh, less war and protect civil liberties. And uh, Robert, Robert Kennedy is the, is the person that's been speaking out for this, and uh, he's getting more support than they have. But that's also along the line of the reaction in the Congress. We we have a lot of, to complain about. We just complain about this resolution coming up and strongly supported. But uh, the uh, 
the the votes have come out. No, we haven't been really winning votes when they're trying to uh, set stages for when we're going to quit fighting su such and such country. But uh, the coalition of opposition has grown. You know, the the, the last vote that represented, you know, uh, demilitarizing, uh, they got like 50 and 50, Republicans and Democrats. And that's not a victory, but it's a victory in the sense that there's a shifting attitude, but there's a shifting attitude among the American people. Yeah. Uh, but all I know is the attitude of the American people is vital and crucial, except I recognize the very po much power that the uh, establishment has. You remember at the beginning of the new, uh, the uh, Eastern Wars, yeah. you know, for Bush, the American people didn't want it. And they spent a long time, it wasn't a week or two, like if you're being attacked, you know, within, like when, when we were bombed in 1941, yeah. they, they acted quickly, but they took a year to, to propagandize that, and then all of a sudden there was a shift. So the propaganda thing is always out there. But right now, I think, as generally speaking, the people, if they hear all the information, I think they would vote for peace over stupid wars. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why they don't want to let them get the information. <laughs> well, our good friend Larry Johnson, who's spoken at our conferences in the past, and I hope we can get him back again, he was a career CIA analyst. Uh, and he has a great website, Son of the American Revolution, of the New American Revolution. Uh, and he has a great piece that came out, uh, I think, yesterday. The United States gets a major black eye in the Middle East, courtesy of the Arab League. I think that captures it really well. He talks about the absolute failure of Washington's Middle East policy, particularly the Obama and Biden administration's Middle East policy. And here's, uh, he talks about now the Arab League uh, readmitting Syria. And go to this next clip because. Here's what he points out. Um, he quotes, uh, U.S. officials are not happy. Uh, and this is a quote from an article. The United States State Department deputy spokesperson, Vendant Patel, made it clear that Washington is not on board with such plans. The U.S., quote, will not normalize relations with the Assad regime, and we do not support others normalizing with Damascus either, he said at a State Department briefing. And the thing that, I, that, that caught me when I looked at that, Dr. Paul, is how impotent the United States looks when it says that. We're sitting here pounding sand and pounding in the, play, in the playground saying, I don't want you to be friends with him. If you want to be my friend, you can't be his <laughs> friend. And everyone else is just sort of laughing and feeling a little bit, it's a little bit pathetic. Uh, and rather than engaging, the U.S. goes in in such a destructive way. So it looks really like an impotent giant. And I think, I just put this last one up because I think Larry Johnson does a great summation of this last 13 years in this next clip, if you can put it up. Because I think it's definitely, he really puts it on the head. If you go forward one more, uh, there he goes. And this is Larry Johnson, former CIA. It is now clear that a key element of U.S. foreign policy during the past 13 years was to foment civil war in countries where U.S. leaders wanted a leadership change. It is a murderous, blood-drenched record. And now, thanks to Russia and China and Saudi Arabia, it's coming to a crashing end. The Arab League delivered a metaphorically punishing kick to the groin of Uncle Sam today. <laughs> Ouch. And this is from an American who's very conservative and very patriotic, uh, Larry Johnson is. So 
but it's recognizing the reality. You know, there's another a bit of news along this this uh, idea of people finally getting sick and tired of what we're doing. Yeah. And this headline on Zero Hedge is Turkey angrily rejects U.S. request to give Ukraine's S-400s air defense system. You know, it, it, we marched in there and it was sort of assumed and like we were giving out the directives and they were supposed to do it, but um, they turned around and they said they were sick and tired of it. So um, I think you're going to see more of that uh, and uh, the one thing that I keep watching uh, because eventually it will be the big issue and that is uh, you, you know, the, the dollar's been strong for a lot of political reasons. We had the gold and we were wealthy and all these sorts of things. But there's also uh, a, a bit of psychological benefits because, you know, they know they're very rich. And even though we're rich, we're spending too much. So most people are working with the assumption that the dollar will uh, continue to lose more of its, uh, you, you know, ability to be the world currency. So, uh, and I think this this makes gives, uh, gives Turkey and other countries a little bit of uh, support because uh, you know the market's saying uh, some, something too that America is getting weaker. Now everybody say, you guys, what are you talking about? Why are you yelling and screaming? Why why are you allowing America to get weak? Well, maybe they're doing something wrong. And do we have a right or a oblig moral obligation to speak out? If the, every time somebody is doing something because they're showing strength, it might be what, what? Strength and courage on doing the right thing and reducing the amount of authoritarianism, that's one thing. But when you use this uh, approach and then you go around and you throw your weight around and if you don't get people to join immediately in our warmongering, uh, we'll put on sanctions. I mean, look, look at how sanctions on China and Russia. We're just begging for more problems, not saying, why don't we just, you know, work together on this? So, but uh, it's easy, I guess, to uh, play the political, uh, you know, patriotic issue and just say, well, it's their fault. Uh, we're angels. So, yeah, this is the insanity and stupidity of U.S. foreign policy in a nutshell. If you think about this, so the U.S. goes to Turkey and says, listen up, we know you bought those S-400s from Russia. We want you to send them to Ukraine. And this is the most advanced <laughs> state-of-the-art um, you know, systems. We want you to send them to Ukraine. But first, we want to have a look under the hood, wink, wink. We want to see how they're made. You know, Turkey has spent a lot of time now trying to develop a positive relationship with Russia, and they've been successful at it. Um, they have uh, now become a hub for Russian gas, and this is a hilarious thing, you gotta, you gotta take your hats off to the Turks, they're no dummies. So <laughs> everyone sanctions Russian gas, so Russia says, hey, how about if we build a hub in Turkey, we will send the gas there, you guys can sell it at a markup and we'll split the difference, <laughs> we'll split the profit, and Turkey says, that sounds like a pretty good deal. So here they have all things going, they refuse to sanction Russia, and then here comes the U.S. State Department in and say, hey, why don't you send that stuff to Ukraine and let us look under the hood and destroy your relationship with Russia? And Turkey says, um, how about no? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, what did they think Turkey would say? You know, it, it didn't take Turkey to give an answer. Yeah. <laughs> like immediate. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's a sisterism. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to move on to our last little tidbit. But before we do, I do want to, it is May, and I do want to put a heads up for our sponsor this month. And again, that is forpatriots.com. A great company to help you survive bad situations. Uh, you know, there's a new report out. The government is warning of a known safety threat that poisons thousands of Americans. 
uh, and that is the threat of deadly carbon monoxide, monoxide seeking out of your gas generator. Uh, many people have been killed uh, over the years and it is a real danger, but there is a new generation of portable, safe, silent, and 100% fume-free generators, and they're available to all Americans, even those who think they might not be able to afford it. You're looking at a picture of the shiny new Patriot Power Generator 2000X, 2000 watts of power, expandable add-ons to double the uh, capacity. It's a generator that doesn't use gas, and so it doesn't have fumes. It's solar, and it's lightweight, and it's quiet as a laptop. And you can get it, and you can move it. It's portable. It can power your phones, your medical devices, or even your fridge. The great news is, if you go to 4Patriots.com and use the code RON, you get 10% off your first first purchase on anything in the store. And that includes these generators, a whole family of generators, food, and so much more. There is a link in the description. Show our supporters some support. Show our benefactors some support by going over to 4 using the code RON and get that 10% off. <laughs> that sounds good. I like right. discounts. Yeah, it's a pretty good deal. I like good discounts. So I want to go on to uh, one last item. Yeah, Elon's yeah. in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, I don't, I've never met Elon, and he's never called me. I understand he uh, knows business, yeah, can make some money, bad, yeah. and um, knows how to make electric cars and shoot things up in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's uh, I'm more interested in uh, when I see news, and I, I don't follow him very very closely, but I like to hear uh, sometimes his opinion. But this today, this opinion was uh, eye-catching. Why does the media misrepresent interracial crime stats uh-huh. uh, to such an extreme degree? And you know, when once they talk about uh, racial groups, it, it makes me annoyed yeah. because I've I've always been annoyed about the way they report uh, elections. Uh, you know, in, in, the, in leading up to the election, they measure out uh, Hispanics and blacks and yeah. Asians and truthfully, truth tellers. No, they, they say, how are they going to vote? Yeah. Well, how do they know that everybody votes the same, you know, and put them in a group? And I think it's the opposite of emphasizing individuals, individuals. And they say, well, we have to have so-called rights. You know, we have to have civil rights for every single group. And I don't, I don't even believe in that. I think you have to have civil liberties for individuals. And then if they want to go into a group, then they would represent, uh, you know, they be civil libertarians. But to say, okay, a certain category of people, you know, uh, deserve special, special help and all, and they'll call it a right. So it's a distortion of what the definition of rights are. And I, I'm always annoyed when it's all, all racial. So th- this one, uh, you have to read with caution because this one uh, is designed uh, to try to find out which group of people uh, are the most violent against the other groups of people. Yeah, yeah. It's, and uh, I'd like to get it moving in the other direction and say, why did A kill B? Yeah. And what was the motive? But that is not where we are. So this, um, th- th- this is uh, t- talking about you know, racial groups, uh, the uh, whites against the blacks, the blacks against mm. the white and the Hispanic. And uh, uh, there, it's interesting to find out that it's not exactly what is publicly uh, per- uh, presented, you know, what people would expect if they predicted it. And uh, would this be the final word? No, this is just 
interesting, and I just wish they wouldn't, wouldn't concentrate on this because if this is the case, they're going to, if this is the case and is that important of what, what the races are doing it for or against each other, then, then there's a lot of emphasis being mis, misplaced, you know, in the media. So uh, I, I, I think that uh, this is of interest, and uh, I think a lot of people will look at this thing and say, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it is interesting. And, and the reason we're talking about it is because Elon got into a little bit of trouble because if you put up that next clip, this is a chart that was put up, and it's to make a point. <clears throat> And it's to accuse the media of obsessing about only one aspect of racial crime, uh, which is white on black. And you can see the television camera zeroing in on that 59 or that 9,000, 59,000 number of white on black crime and not showing the others, which are significantly higher. For example, black on white, which is about 10 times higher. So someone, they use some statistics from the Bureau of Justice. Uh, and they show this, they show them that the medium, o media only focuses on one part when the full story is a little bit more complex. Well, what happened is that Elon responded to this, if you can turn the next one on, and Elon said, odd, why would the media misrepresent the real situation to such an extreme degree? But he wasn't done. I think this was a couple of days ago. So there's a next one, if you can put this next one up, where they talked about um, how the media is four times more likely to mention the race of white murderers as compared to black murderers. And Elon said, interesting. <laughs> and then do it again because he was on a roll here. Uh, someone else posted uh, between 2011 and 2019, the New York Times and Washington Post increased their usage of the word racists, racists, and racism by over 700% and nearly 1,000% respectively. And Elon Musk drew a couple of exclamation points under it. So. He's, I don't think he's necessarily talking about crime and race. I think what he's talking about is how the media covers it. I think that's his angle. And I think people maybe misinterpret what he's saying, but it is interesting. I think they're using this kind of thing. Yeah, that's po political gains. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you have a, uh, another statement? Yeah, well, I'll just close out. If we can do that very last one, because I do want to remind our viewers that we're going to have a get-together here uh, in June on June 3rd in Houston, and they lie. Nihilism and the war on truth. We're gonna have some great speakers. We're gonna have a great event. It's gonna be a great get together, delicious breakfast. Spend a day with people you like. <laughs> Spend a day with people who, for the most part, you agree with. Uh, and you know, Dr. Paul, when we have conferences, uh, people will meet each other and they'll develop business relationships. They may develop personal relationships. We've known people that, you know, different families that have developed long-term personal relationship friendships. So it's not just about sitting there and being passive and listening to someone speak, although there's a heck of a lot that can be learned, and I always learn something at our conferences, but it's also about being around people where you can accept the fact that you're against violence and you're against the use of force. Uh, and you share a lot of these things in common. So there is a link in the description to where you can get your tickets and find out more about it. We hope you will join us in June, less than a month away now, in Houston, Texas. <laughs> Very Thank good. You, I want to close by reemphasizing the issue of what is the responsibility of NATO to run the world. Uh, when it, NATO was started, it was well known that uh, Senator Robert Taft back then said that NATO was not a good idea, that it would end up actually doing the opposite, and, uh, he, and he voted against it, but he was considered a bad guy for this. 
But uh, actually, it was set up then at the time, and I could understand why people would uh, want to justify it, because it was there to protect uh, Europe and the United States against the Soviet system. Uh, and uh, yet, after the end of the Cold War, NATO, there was no purpose of NATO. So they had to go and create a purpose, and Daniel and I have expressed ourselves even today how much NATO is involved. And now it just blows my mind to think they're over there, you know, visiting Taiwan, you know, uh, and promoting things there. And I was jokingly saying, what are the, what's going to happen with that, that little problem we have with Taiwan versus China if uh, somebody goes and uh, invites uh, Taiwan to join NATO? And the whole idea that we're over there messing around with the internal and external affairs and borders, uh, you know, a, a long way from, away from the territory NATO was supposed to be interested in. So I would just uh, ask people to, you know, pay a lot of attention to NATO because when we, when they, and especially myself, and I'm sure Daniel agrees with this, that uh, when we talk about Ukraine, it's, uh, they, they might say that you, you, Ukraine, Russia, fight. Oh, Ukraine, uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, and that, that ends it right there. But uh, the, the whole thing is, it started a long time before that, and it was especially accelerated in 2014 when NATO, uh, you know, in a way became very, very aggressive and, and participated, along with the United States, obviously, in a coup that got rid of a government that was more open-minded to dealing with Russia. So uh, NATO shouldn't be there. We shouldn't be there. We should allow internal affairs uh, deal with what's going on in countries and even the border disputes. Uh, that uh, that that is something we don't need to go over to Ukraine and pretend that we are border uh, line, border experts and know exactly what to do and solve problems. I think we have enough challenges right here at home, but uh, people blindly just go along and, and, and have supported uh, you know, you know you, the war in Ukraine. But the whole thing is, is more people are starting to oppose it, and this is a wise prediction. This stuff usually ends when a country goes bankrupt. And that's what we're seeing signs of that the American people are saying, why are we over there? At the same time, we are having troubles at the borders and the people coming in illegally in a country get moved up on the line and actually get some of the welfare benefits uh, even before uh, the, uh, the retired military people or American citizens. So a lot of it doesn't make sense. I think the American people are waking up and we hope we can continue to uh, deliver information that can be perceived as seeking the truth and trying to work out some of these problems. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.